0: Today we have kind of in the second week of a three-part message called Fear Not. And if you missed last week, basically what we're doing is we're looking at three different segments of the birth of Jesus. I mean, we all know if we've been raised in church or been in church most, you know, any part of our life, we know the story of Jesus. So we're looking at three different segments. Uh, and in each of these, an angel appears to different people. And one of the first things that the angel always says is this, fear not." Or maybe your translation says, do not be afraid. Last week we saw how the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary to let her know that God had a purpose for her life. A purpose that was greater and probably a lot different than what her plans were for her life. But it was a purpose that he was wanting to fulfill in her. And again, even though it was different, she didn't have to fear. Because what seemed impossible to us is possible with God she didn't have to fear what God had planned for her life which is kind of the topic we looked at last week and that is this you know that fear of what God may ask us to do well Mary struggled with that and if she was disobedient to God's invitation God was going to handle the rest now if you got your Bibles I want you to open them up to Matthew chapter 1 we're going to be in Matthew's gospel this week Matthew chapter 1 We'll be looking at verses 18 to 24 in just a few moments. And as we do, we're going to discover this week how we can overcome our fear of what people think. How we can overcome our fear of the opinions of others and how they affect us. And in doing that, we're going to unpack the angel's visit to a guy by the name of Joseph. Who is Joseph? Okay, it was, it was Mary's fiance? This is who Mary was engaged to be married to. So that's what we're going to do this morning. Let's pray as we begin. Father, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for this time. I thank you for what we've already been, in, been able to go through. And especially, Father, uh, for our worship time. Thank you. It was just so blessed. But Lord, right now, we, we pray that you will give us open hearts and minds. God, help us put everything else out of our heads so that we just can focus on what you have for us today. We love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Let me ask you, and be honest, okay? Just be honest. Let me ask you, how many of you would say that on some level, okay, on some level you care about what other people think about you? Raise your hand. Okay, I think we, you know, the rest of you may be liars, but um, <laughs> I don't know. But I think on some level, I mean, the reality is on some level, I think we all, we all want to know. I mean, do I fit in? Do they think I'm funny? Do they like the car I drive? Do they like the clothes I wear? Do they like my, my hairstyle? Now, for me, that's not a lot, but at least it's more than Chad or Adam has. So, um, <laughs> you know, you got to take what you can get. I mean, do they like my Instagram selfies, you know? I mean, we, we just care about what other people think. We, we care a lot about people's opinions in our life. But here's the problem. If we're not careful, we can become easily obsessed with what other people think. So what do we do? I mean, how can we overcome this? Overcome this fear of what others may think about us. Well, before we begin, let me give you some background. And let me give you the context of this passage. And then we're going to dive in to our story for the day. Now, Joseph's engaged to be married to a young teen virgin girl named Mary. Now, in this time in history, engagements, as you can imagine, were just a lot different than they are today. I mean, today, if you're engaged and things kind of go south guess what? You just break off the engagement. And then you guys, you do your best to get the ring back. (laughs) You got your your priorities, you know. But back in the first century, it was totally different. An engagement was actually a binding agreement. I mean, you would be engaged for a year, and if you wanted to break off the engagement, guess what? You actually had to go through a divorce. You had to get divorced. And the engagement was so serious that if one of the two people died, the other one would be considered a widow or a widower. So, with that in mind, let's pick up our story in Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was engaged to, be, to marry Joseph. But before they married, she learned she was pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to invite one of our young couples up here. I actually did uh, Rudy and Mandy's wedding a, a couple years ago, two and a half years ago or so. I've invited them. They're going to play the part of Mary and Joseph for just a moment. Okay? I uh, should have put a pillow in there, but we didn't have one. So, um, so Mandy, you use this mic, and Rudy, you're taller. You can use this mic. Okay. So, last week we kind of talked just for a minute, kind of about that awkward conversation that had to take place between Mary and Joseph. This is kind of how I, in my head, think it may have went. Okay. Now, Joey, honey bunches, you may want to sit down for this. I've got something to tell you. I'm pregnant but don't jump to any conclusions. It's by the Holy Spirit. Now, okay? Now, if Joseph is like most guys, this is what he may have said. And how long did it take you to come up with that story? (laughs) Don't give me that Holy Spirit S. I saw the way that dude was checking you out at the wall. Now, you've got to admit... When you factor out the possibility that God actually did this from a human perspective, Joseph's got to be thinking this. Uh, She's either crazy or a liar, and I'm not sure that I want to marry someone that's crazy or a liar. And if I stay with her, what's everybody going to say? What are they going to think about her and me? Okay, thanks, guys. Good job. (laughs) Now... Here's something that we tend to forget. From this point on, Mary's going to be a marked woman. I mean, she's going to be a marked woman. Because to be pregnant out of wedlock was a sin that was punishable by death. In fact, they usually would take the person out and they would stone them. And if Joseph stays with her, guess what? He's also going to be a marked man for the rest of his life. He'll be marked because they'll either consider him the guy that got her pregnant or he'll, they'll consider her the guy that let somebody else get her pregnant. And so from that point on, he's going to have a hard time finding a job. He's going to find a, have a hard time having anybody do business with him. And if he divorces her, no other father is going to want to bless his daughter to be married to this guy. Now, we don't know for sure what's going on in Joseph's mind But from the text, he's thinking about bailing out on the relationship. I mean, either he doesn't believe her, or he just doesn't want to take the heat that's going to come his way. Look at verse 19. Because Mary's husband, Joseph, was a good man, he did not want to disgrace her in public. So he planned to divorce her secretly. Now, a lot of commentaries say that divorcing her quietly was actually a very noble and honoring thing to do. I mean, after all, I'm sure Joseph loved her. And in fact, I, I, I I'm imagine he didn't want to expose her to public shame or to death. So now he's torn between his love for Mary and between what others might be thinking if he stays with her. That's why divorcing her quietly probably sounded like the best alternative. So Joseph finds himself at a crossroad, and he's about to learn one of the most important life lessons for those who want to honor God, and it's this. Pleasing God often means disappointing people. Pleasing God often means disappointing people. In other words, if you want to obey God, if you want to be obedient to God, then there will be times... When people will not agree or will not understand the decision that you're making. Here's how the story continues in verses 20 and 21. While Joseph thought about these things. Now, stop here for just a second. Because in my mind, this is what's going on. He's beginning to weigh the pros and cons of staying with her. Let's go on. An angel of the Lord came to him in a dream. The angel said, Joseph, descendant of David. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. King James Version says, fear not. Because the baby in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. You will name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, like we talked about last week with Mary, I believe Joseph also was going on this emotional roller coaster. Back and forth between humility, thinking for centuries it's been prophesied that a Messiah would come. And now an angel of the Lord has told me that I get to be a part of one of the greatest events in history. So he goes from humility then to fear, the fear of others' opinions. And he may be thinking, but but what are people going to say about me? I mean, what's this going to cost me? And so he's back and forth. On the one hand, I get to possibly be a part of changing the entire world. On the other hand, I have no idea how difficult this is going to be. So should I do what people say? Or should I do what God wants? And let me tell you, I can promise you that if you're a follower of Jesus today, at different points in your life, you're going to be confronted with the decision to be obedient to what God wants, or to take the easy route and follow the opinions of people. And so Joseph's going to learn a a couple very important principles. The first one is this. Becoming obsessed with what people think is the quickest way to forget about what God thinks. Becoming obsessed with what people think, think is the quickest way to forget about what God thinks. And the reality is, for most of us, we tend to drift towards wanting to please people. I mean, what do they think of me? Do they like me? Do I fit in? Do I measure up? Am I cool enough? Do they think I'm doing the right things? And suddenly, without even meaning to, we surrender our lives to the opinions of people at the expense of living to please God. And so how do we overcome that? Well, the flip side of that is also true. And it's this. Becoming obsessed with what God thinks is the quickest way to forget about what people think. Becoming obsessed with what God thinks is the quickest way to forget about what people think. The bottom line is this. The reality is you can't please everyone. Anybody learn that in life? I mean you can't please everyone i mean if you try to please people you're going to fail at some point you'll make a mistake you'll say the wrong thing you'll wear the wrong thing you'll hang out with the wrong crowd at some point you will let somebody down it's just a fact of life you see no matter how hard you try you just can't please everyone but here's the good news that i have for you today and it's this despite our mistakes, and our imperfections, you and I can still please God. We can still please God. In other words, you can strive to live a life where God looks at you and says, man, great job. Great job. You did the right thing there, man. You did the right thing. You brought glory to my name. Well done, good and faithful servant. So how do we overcome living for what everyone else thinks? Here's where it starts. We start living for an audience of one. We start living for an audience of one. It's saying, God, I want to please you and you alone and all that I say, in all that I say and do. I just want to live for you. I want to please you. I want to listen to your voice above all the other voices that are calling out to me I want to begin to live for an audience of one. And that audience of one is you, God. I want to live for you in that way. And as we will see in in just a few moments, Joseph is going to get to the place in his life where he says, You know what? I value the opinions of God above the opinions of people. But how about us? I mean, how does this begin to play out in our everyday lives? today? Well, I want to give you two thoughts to take with you when you leave. And I've put them under the subtitle, how do we live for God instead of for people? And the first is this. If you're not ready to be criticized for your obedience to God, you're not ready to be used by God. Wow. you talking about something that will slay you where you're at? You, you take that to heart because it is so true. If you are not ready to be criticized for your obedience to God, then maybe you're not ready to be used by God. I mean, think about all the different ways that Joseph and Mary would be criticized. I mean, I'm sure people were going around whispering, hey, you know that's not really Joseph's baby, don't you? Yeah, they got this crazy idea, and they're spreading around that it was by the Holy Spirit. But you know what? Hey, I've got it from my brother who got it from his girlfriend who got it from her aunt or uncle. I don't know which one it was. But they said they saw Joseph's camel parked outside of Mary's place like at 2 in the morning. And I don't think they were doing Bible studies at 2 in the morning. So you can imagine how they had to be criticized. And again, this had the potential to be something that was a huge public disgrace. Now, I don't know how it's going to play out in your life, but I do know this. There are going to be times, maybe when you're reading God's word and you're led to do something that's culturally unpopular, and if you obey, you know you'll be criticized for that decision you just made. Or you may be a teen, and if there's young people in here today or, or college students in here today, you better listen to this right now because I'm talking to you for uh, at this moment. There may be this times in your life where you need to decide to break free from what others think and break free from that party lifestyle. And you know that your friends are going to criticize you for that decision. Or you might... You might say, you know what, no matter what I did in the past from now on, I'm going to honor God with sexual purity. And people, even friends of yours, they may criticize you for taking a biblical stand. Or you may leave a high-paying job to go to a lower-paying job because they're asking you to compromise on your values. They're asking you to cut corners for the good of the company, and people will criticize you for taking a stand. You see, here's the thing. Being obedient to God means that you have to come to terms with, critis- with the criticism of others. Because if you're not, and you don't, then maybe you're not ready to be used by God. Here's a principle that I think is true most of the time in our lives, and it's this. The more you do out of obedience to God's plan, the more pain you'll experience. And I don't necessarily mean physical pain. That's not what I'm talking about. But I do believe that if you want to make a difference in this world, you will endure more pain than those who don't. I think it's just a fact of being a believer and being a Christian. And so if you would rather live a life without pain and criticism, guess what? This is what you do. You just do nothing. Just do nothing. And stand for nothing. And if you do, then you probably won't get criticize you probably won't experience pain why because you stand for nothing you do nothing but let me tell you i would rather do something significant and have people shoot at me than do nothing at all Uh, and i'll be really honest with you everything significant that i've done in my personal life or my life as a pastor has been met with resistance and criticism it's a part of what it means to be i believe a follower of jesus now, I'm very thankful that since I've been at this church, that really hasn't happened. But I've been in ministries in the past where I've had people stand literally in front of Lucy and I and cuss me out because they didn't like what we were doing. I mean, I can tell you story after story of what has happened because, let me tell you, unfortunately, the church is one of the or only armies that shoots its own wounded. And when you do anything for God, there will be times of resistance and there will be times of criticism. It's a part of being a follower. And anything significant that you do will be met with criticism and resistance. So again, if you're not ready to be criticized for your obedience to God, then maybe you're not ready to be used by God. Let me tell you, that's tough, isn't it? I mean, that's tough to take, but I believe it's true. But the second thing we need to understand is this. Extraordinary acts of God often start with ordinary acts of obedience. This is, I love this. Extraordinary acts of God often start with ordinary acts of obedience. It's amazing how much of what we've been talking about comes back to one word, obedience. I mean, think about this. The Savior of the world, the long-awaited Messiah, was born when two teenage kids said yes to God in a simple act of obedience. Think about that. Because you know what's crazy about that? It's this. They didn't have any of the details. I mean, they had no plan. They had no future directions to follow. They only had this one simple message, and it was this. You're going to have a baby boy. And you're going to name him Jesus. He's going to save the people from their sin. That's what they had. They didn't know the details. But here's what they did know. They knew the God behind the details. And they trusted him with the outcome. I believe that they lived out a principle that is hard for us to embrace. And it's this. We don't have to understand completely to obey him immediately you get that? We don't have to understand completely to obey immediately. In other words, we don't have to see the whole picture before we put that first piece of the puzzle in place. We don't have to see the whole picture. But the problem is, that's what we want, isn't it? I mean, let's be honest. That's what we want. We want God to reveal the details. We want God to reveal the whole picture to us And here's the thing we forget. You and I, and God knows this, we can't handle the details. We can't handle the details. If he showed us everything, we probably wouldn't take that first step of faith. Again, we have to remember what we said last week. The outcome is whose responsibility? Whose responsibility is the outcome? God's. What's our responsibility? Obedience. You see, extraordinary acts of God often start with ordinary acts of obedience. Here's what's so cool about that. You have no idea what you might set into motion when you simply obey what God puts on your heart. Get that? You may not have any idea of what you may set into motion When you simply obey what God has put on your heart, you may literally affect generation after generation after generation. I mean, when you're obedient in building a relationship with somebody and then sharing with that person about Jesus, because God has placed them upon your heart, you you may not know what you may set into motion Because that person, if they give their life to Christ, all of a sudden now they're sharing with their family and their kids. And now their kids are becoming Christians. And now their kids are sharing with their families. And their kids are becoming Christians. And so on and so on. And so you never know what you may set into motion because you were obedient here that affects down there. Because God lays it all out. He sets it into motion. And generation after generation may be changed because you were willing to be obedient to what God has called you to. Or how about this? When you feel prompted to serve somewhere in our church and you're obedient to that, and you're obedient to that prompting, you may have no idea who you might impact. A child, a teen whose life could be changed for the good of God's kingdom. Now, please don't take this wrong because I don't mean it to be prideful. But one of the most, one of the most meaningful and joyful times in my life, and it's been awesome here. Don't take that wrong. But it was when I was a youth pastor, and the sixteen years I was in youth pastor and being able to pour into kids, especially those five and a half years that Lucy and I were in Wichita, Kansas. And during those five and a half years, we saw thirty-two kids go to Bible college. And so I can tell you story after story of Jeff Isaac who was a high school boy in the youth group. Just a great kid. He went to Manhattan Christian College. Now he's the senior pastor at the church I was a youth pastor at. Brian Morrill. Brian was the kid who started coming to youth group with a friend of his named Kyle Fewen. And Kyle uh, kept bringing Brian and and Brian kept getting engaged, and we just kept pouring into those kids. About four years after I'd left Wichita, we were in Indiana, and I was at lunch one day, and I got a call, and it was Brian. He said, Jerry, I don't know if you'll remember me, but this is Brian Morrill. I used to be in your youth group. I go, oh, yeah, man, I remember you. You used to come with Kyle Fewen. He said, I just want you to know, that I'm a senior now at Ozark Christian College studying to be a pastor. And I want to thank you for pouring into my life. Or Holly. Holly was a senior or high school uh, girl that was working in a bakery at Dillon's. She attended attended, uh, North High School. And one of my youth sponsors, Jeff, Jeff was the FCA director at that school. Jeff came to me and said, hey, uh, we, I've got this girl that comes to FCA, and I, because of the way school does things, I'm really not able to say a lot to her, but would you go talk to her? I said, yeah, man, I'll go talk to her. So about once a week, I'd go to Dylan's and I'd buy a donut, and I'd talk with Holly. Pretty soon, Holly started coming to youth group. Before long, we baptized Holly into Christ. Not long after that, we baptized her best friend, who just happened to be a guy. They weren't dating at the time. He was just her best friend. We baptized Paul into Christ. Now, they're married. Paul's an associate pastor at a church in Wichita, and Holly's extremely involved in ministry. This is what she wrote us a couple years ago after we were able to see her. She said, that was a wonderful visit. I'm just so thankful for you both. I'm thankful you didn't give up on the bakery girl. You taught me how to be a Christian and how to love and serve others. I'm so blessed that you came into my life. I love you both. Like the one song says, thank you for giving to the Lord. I'm a life that was changed. Let me ask you, let me just say this. You'll never know what God may set into motion with one simple act of obedience. And if you'll just be obedient to his call, his invitation in your life, you may never know the impact, literally for generations, that your life will make. And so the angel speaks to Joseph, and he says, fear not. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what's in her is conceived by the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son. You'll name him Jesus, because he's going to save the people from your sins. Now. Joseph's got a choice to make. Does he listen to the opinions of others? Does he listen to what others are saying? Or does he listen to the voice of God? He's got a decision. And so in one little verse, he's defined. Look at verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. He did what the Lord, what the angel of the Lord commanded. And through that simple act of obedience, one of the greatest acts of God was brought to fulfillment. So, when God speaks to you and you're wrestling with the decision between what's easy and what's right... Between what people think and what God thinks, just remember that one sentence can change your life and the lives of others. One sentence can define your life from that point on. Because in one simple act of obedience, God might set into motion something that would impact his kingdom for eternity. Let's reflect. You see, I want us to take a moment because there may be some of you who would recognize like I do that you battle with these thoughts. You battle with what people think, like what are they going to think about me or am I going to fit in or do I measure up or are they going to like me? And I don't know about you, but I want to overcome this fear of what people think so that I can be obsessed with what my God thinks. And if you struggle with that too... If that's you, then maybe you need to pray this prayer. And it simply is this. God, I know that at times I can be more concerned with what people think than with what you think. But today, I want to be totally and completely transformed. I want to be different. I want to align myself with your heart. And I want to be obsessed with and obedient to your will and your purpose and your kingdom and your plans and your goodness and your direction. From this point on, God, I just want you to be my audience of one. So where are you at today? You have that fear of what others might say, the opinions of people? You find it difficult in making some of the decisions that you need to make about being obedient to God because you have this fear of what what others might say about that decision? If that's you, then, then maybe you just need to do something about it today and just say, God, from this point on, man, I want to be transformed. I want to change. I just want to have that audience of one. I want to be obsessed with what you think, not what others think. I want to be obsessed with what you think, God. Adam's going to come and he's going to play and we're going to reflect. And as we reflect, If you have any decision you need to make, anything on your heart, you just come. And we'll pray with you and encourage you. Let's reflect.